welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, friends, it's good to be uh, back with you again, and especially in these challenging times. We're digging back into our conversation on the book of Revelation, and I can't think of a more appropriate topic to look at than this revealing of Jesus. Remember, it's a revelation of Jesus. It's a celebration uh, of, of, of Him. It's an unveiling of Him. Uh, too many times, I think, we look at this book and try and read the tea leaves, you know, what's happening and what does this mean and what does this headline mean? And in all of those senses, we're probably going to end up in the wrong way because this letter was not written to us. It was written to seven churches in Asia Minor, each of which were dealing with varying different kinds of things and uh, tries to provide for them a a sense of God's presence with them. And that's what we need today, isn't it? And especially in this hypercharged, uh, politically partisan environment that we're living in. Uh, and we thought, before I dig into the sermon, that it might be worthwhile for me to just say, uh, Darren and I are going to have a conversation on this um, whole kind of um, uh, God politics, the church, uh, in uh, the next couple weeks, November 1st, will be online 4 o'clock. And if you want to plug into that conversation if you want to send questions in for us to talk together about. Um, we'll be more than happy for you to join in that conversation. And you can register uh, uh, online for that. And we would love you to be part of the conversation. I think you probably know, don't expect uh, us to go down the list and who to vote and what to vote, because that's not what we're going to do. We just want to say, what does it look like for us as disciples of Jesus to look through the lens of the Lordship of Jesus, to look through the lens of the kingdom of God at the current political environment, and how then does that inform how we live out our convictions as disciples in a world that is yelling at us what we must do? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you to be a disciple? Uh, so that's the conversation we're going to look at, and we sure hope you can join us. Um, this letter, this book, this, this revealing of Jesus uh, is anchored in a time when um, the wheels are coming off the empire. Uh, John, uh, the writer of the letter to Revelation, is in exile on the kind of desert island almost of Patmos. Uh, hopefully the Romans think that they can put him there and get him out of harm's way. They don't want to martyr him because that would rally the churches in ways that they aren't prepared to deal with. Uh, and so they think by, you know, putting him in this, this place that they'll be safe. And meanwhile, John is, uh, is completely at home in this place. Wherever the Lord is, John's fine. Uh, and uh, he, he comes from this unique role. He says, I'm, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And, and right away you recognize he's got a twinkle in his eye uh, because in the Roman Empire, the Lord's day was the day that they celebrated the deity of the Caesar. Uh, and John is kind of a wink and a nod and suggesting, mm, Maybe there's another Lord that we should take into account, take more seriously. 
uh, especially when he leads out of that in that first chapter to this vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, echoing Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, where he just celebrates the supremacy of Jesus over all of the systems of the world, over all of the systems of creation, over the entire cosmos. And this vision obviously keeps, keeps rolling uh, as, as we head into this, especially the vision where he has Jesus and sees him standing. Where is Jesus? What is he doing in the world? And the answer in chapters 2 and 3 is that Christ is right in the center of the churches, encouraging these seven churches of Asia Minor uh, in their role and in their place. Jesus is not first concerned with what's happening in the world. Jesus is first concerned to get his people online with what he's doing. It's so important that the church get its act together in this cultural moment and if I can just step out, it's not just John's cultural moment that we are now concerned with, right? We are heading into some challenging seasons and times, and I think that's why this series is so important for us. Not so that we can escape somehow the realities of what's happening, but so that we can be the church in this moment where we are desperately needed. And that's why this letter is written, two and three, chapters two and three, focus on these letters to these churches, commending and encouraging and challenging them to do better because it's important in this moment when the wheels are coming off culture and society and the empire is failing for the church to remember who it is and what it's here for and how we need to partner with God in what he's doing. And then as he turns the corner into the fourth and fifth chapter, uh, John is invited again into this magnificent vision of Christ, the throne room on which God sits on the throne of the Lamb slain uh, who, who, who is worthy uh, through his sacrifice to unveil, uh, to reveal, to unpack this um, revelation of what's, what's, what's coming, what's, what's happening in the world. And it's important for us to know that uh, uh, this, this, this Lion of Judah, the great warrior after David, is actually the Lamb slain. It is through his sacrifice that he triumphs. It is not through his wielding of superior power. Uh, clearly, he can do that. But we have already seen what happens in the systems of the world when power uh, is, is, is used without great love as the foundation of it or as the primary expression of it. And so in chapters 4 and 5, John has this vision of Christ as the one worthy and able. Um, and this is going to become incredibly important because in the last scene we see these seals that are, are not seals of, of mystery, they're seals of authority. They're indicated to, uh, indi they're used to indicate uh, what, is, what is actually going on and the authority of what's happening in, 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 in what is to follow. Probably it's worthwhile noticing as we work through these series of sevens throughout the book, they're not intended to be sequential. Uh, they're not intended to say this happens, then this happens, then this happens at all. They're it's almost like a, 
um, a, a graphic novel uh, with flashbacks and flash forwards and uh, deeper dives into bits and pieces of things. We have sevens and then the seven leads us to a new seven and that seven leads us to a new seven. And John is intending us to just join him on the roller coaster ride uh, and, and not get too stuck in the specific meanings of any given symbol or sign. Um, we get stuck here where we take the numbers literally, we take the signs literally, uh, and um, then we say, well, how can that happen? No, no, no. Just stand back. You are dealing with, in this book, a master of apocalyptic literature, and let, let it kind of, as hard as it will be, wash over you and, and, and feel the weight of what he's saying here. Uh, because uh, it's about to get real. Grand vision of Jesus, lift it up. That's going to sustain us as things begin to unpack uh, in, in the reality of the world we live in. Uh, I'm going to take a risk and read this whole chunk here, uh, because this is the Word of God. What I say about it is not. Uh, it's an important passage, and I want you to hear it. Uh, and then we'll just uh, come back and look at it a little bit more. Chapter 6 and 7, a uh, lot of work to do this morning, so uh, bear with us. Uh, but I think you'll see why I'm choosing to do it this way. So, Revelation uh, chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me, a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the four, the second living creature say, Come. And another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, and six pounds of barley for a day's wage. But don't damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me, a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades followed close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all of those who had been slain because of the word of God, the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, till you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Then I watched as he opened the sixth seal, 
And there, a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropping from a fig tree shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks and the mountains, and called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? After this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all of the tribes of Israel. Now we'll pick it up down at verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be unto the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. He said, these are the ones who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes. They have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's a powerful text, and we're only just getting started. It begins in chapter 6 with these four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the first one is a a white horse uh, with a rider given a sword, a crown, Uh, and, and, And each of these four are not signaling in likelihood things yet to come. It is a building of the case for the necessity of judgment that is going to come in chapter 
8 and following. So these two chapters are really still preparatory to when all heaven begins to break loose on the brokenness that we have made of the earth. And so here we have four different snapshots in these four horses of the kinds of damage that have been done to the earth. The first one, the white horse with the conqueror, is in all likelihood these these false teachers, the false messiahs, the one who appear to be all that uh, with the white horse and they have the crown, they have the fake image of the messiah. Jesus told us this was going to come false teachers, false messiahs, and they do harm and damage. And then we have this, 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 this second creature, the, the red uh, horse, the, 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 the horse of, of war. And part of the diagnostic of the planet that needs judging, that needs redemption, is the fact that we have turned on one another War has been part of our story, and you know the numbers, millions of people since within the last hundred years, the last 150 years, have seen more people die from warfare than any other point in our history. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. The red horse is riding freely through the lands. This is, again, a historical portrait, a description making the case for the judgment that is yet to come. And then the, then the black horse, the horse of famine. This is the, in some ways the most heartbreaking of these creatures because this, this horse rides out onto a land, onto an earth that was built to sustain the lives of everyone on it. And here now we have made such a mess of the gift God gave us in the planet that we can't even feed our own people. But notice, Notice, it's not everybody starves at the same level. The things that are basic for poor people to eat, wheat, barley, are sold at a premium. You've got to work a day to get enough bread to feed your family. But the wealthy, the oil, the wine, don't touch that. You see what he's doing? Famine becomes a way of dividing the culture into the haves and the have-nots. And this is what we have done. This is the diagnostic. Now we're starting to get a sense of why judgment might be necessary. And finally, this pale horse, uh, death. Uh, And we have seen this play out in our last seven months, haven't we? And not just obviously in the last seven months, but think through the last 2,000 years since this was written, this pale horse riding throughout history has, has, has decimated by pandemics and, and other, other, other catastrophic illnesses. And the result has been this horror uh, of, the, of this world. It is just vibrating in, in longing for what it can be. And then we have this hint of mercy. Did you catch it down there at just after uh, about verse 8? They were given power over a fourth of the land to kill. A fourth. That's a lot, but it's not all. There's mercy here. There is a limit to the damage that we are allowed to do to the planet. And that seems to be what's partly indicated here. As horrific as things are, this is This is what mercy might look like. This is what prayer might produce, right? But we have another horseman, the fifth seal, excuse me, 
Uh, another, and here we are given, we're, we're pulled out of this historical overview justifying judgment to see uh, a host of people under the altar where the, the sacrifice um, uh, has, has sanctified them and they are, they are, 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 are praying, oh Lord, how long, how long? They are the martyrs. They are the folks who have died uh, in, 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 in this season. Uh, and I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus did not come to rescue us from this world. He came to be with us in it. That's what incarnation means. So here are these people who, are, 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 who have lost their lives as a result of, of following Jesus, and they, want, they, they are praying for justice to be done. And they hear this word, patience, a little while. There are others who are going to join you. There are more, if you will, deaths that are going to occur. And of course, this historical moment reminds us throughout the centuries of the hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who have died as a result of their confession of Jesus. They are, they are there now. But then the sixth seal, a new picture opens up. I don't know if you can catch the graphic imagery here that John is just such a brilliant writer under the anointing of the Spirit, giving us these graphic images moving in and out and fading. Uh, what a great cinematographer would do with these images. But here we are now, bang, we're out of the scene looking under the altar and we watch and see this great earthquake and the sun is black and the moon turns blood red and the stars file, uh, fall. These are not literal images as much as they are pictorial or symbolic images of, of things falling apart, of all of the markers, all of the things that we have used to regulate our understanding failing. And for those who, who wonder if any such thing could possibly happen, any such earthquake could happen, think about how our world has shifted since 9-11. An earthquake of historic proportions in our social fabric. Think how this pandemic is an earthquake that is shaking the very foundations and structures of our world, our financial world, our socioeconomic world. And here we are, an earthquake. So, so when we think earthquake, we don't have to think a literal earthquake to get, in fact, I think in some ways a literal earthquake might be preferred to the earthquake that he is describing here. Notice how the leaders, the mighty men, the princes, the generals, the rich, the people who are, 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 are protected by their wealth from the implications of what's happening, all of a sudden they realize, oh man, this is going to get bad really, really fast. And they are running to the mountains. They're going to their mountain retreats, praying that the mountains would fall on them. They don't want the gaze of God to fall on them. They don't want the wrath of the Lamb. Now remember, they don't know the Lamb. They don't understand how the Lamb actually works. So they are thinking in their terms that there is a recognition that we've been playing fast and loose with the stewardship of the earth. That's my language. And they recognize this isn't going to, this isn't going to turn out well for us when he notices us hiding under our rock. And so they pray to escape. Now, please notice, they don't want to change their behavior. 
They want to escape the consequences of their behavior. This is a problem. And when I say they, I mean me. There are times when I want to be free to do whatever it is that I want and not pay the price for doing whatever it is that I want. I fit into this category in no small measure. So while we're looking at them, remember, we're looking in the mirror, right? And then we turn into chapter 7 and we have this pause Four angels holding back, four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, preventing the winds from blowing that will bring further damage on the land or the sea or the trees. Now the judgment is beginning to unfold based on the case that has been made. Justice is coming that we're, we're riding up to the top of the high peak of the roller coaster and we're just ready to peek over and, and get a sense of the horror that is unfolding uh, and, 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 and uh, wait, 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 we got work to do. And look what is done. The people of God are sealed so that while they are maybe going to go through a lot of the horror to come, while they will, 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 will experience much of the damage, they will not ultimately be harmed. They are somehow protected, not protected from the consequence, not protected from the horrors that are happening. In fact, because they have a heartbeat, they're impacted by what is going to be happening. And he uses two different images. One is this 144,000 of the tribes of Israel. I didn't read the list of the tribes. If you go back and look at that, you'll notice that they're not the same tribes that are indicated in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, so John is signaling something to us. This isn't the actual, literal, historical, political Israel. This is the Israel of God. These are the people who have joined in to the people of God through their life in Christ, right? And, and they, are, they are part of this. So it's the same image when John turns in the second scene and sees this great multitude because 144,000 sounds like, okay, 143,999, done. No, what he's using here is these symbolic numbers, not intended to be taken, again, literally, but to signal this massive number beyond counting, which then he echoes as we hit into verse 9, a great multitude nobody could count. And notice, they come from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. I'm going to suggest to you that these are the same people. These are, this is the same crowd. This is not one set of here and one set here. These are the folks who throughout history have aligned themselves and have marked themselves as the true Israel, the true people of God. And they stand, I love this image that chapter 7 ends with, they stand in celebration of the glory and goodness of God. Salvation belongs to our God. Many of them are in this crowd having died as a result of their faith. The, 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 they, are, they are there, the elder says in verse 13, have come out of great tribulation. Uh, and I know that that's a trigger word for folks who have grown up in a in an understanding of this book in, in, in a dispensational framework. But what John is saying here is the people to whom he is writing are undergoing great tribulation. And this tribulation, this tectonic 
plate hitting up against one another as as the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of, of this world, of the empire, and there is a crushing, and the people of God are crushed by that shifting of power structures and the tectonic plates, and, and that is the word that is used to describe this tribulation. And it is this moment of awareness. Oh, this is an ongoing gathering. So this is not a, uh, 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 this is an ongoing development of crowd. And John is just given, given a vision of these folks and they are worshiping their hearts out in thanksgiving to God. And listen to the promise. What happens to the people of God when they die? Well, here's a snapshot. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor the scorching heat. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. You hear the echo of Psalm 23. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why? Because they died to get there. These are the folks who have been crushed by the collision of cultures, the collision of kingdoms. And they're happy to be where they are. This is the encouragement for us, isn't it? As the people of God in this moment, in this cultural moment, where the, where the, the forces and the voices of empire are shouting at us who and what we ought to be. Here's our destiny if we choose the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if we pursue that, if we sink down deep into the work of the Lamb, we share in this worship service portrayed here. And that's my prayer for us at the garden, my prayer for the church universally, that we will pay whatever price history requires of us to be the people of God, because this is where I want to end up. Let's pray. Oh Lord, um, this is a challenging text, uh, and I pray for courage uh, to lean into it, to hear it, but also, Lord Jesus, to take it seriously, to um, respond to the invitation, to sink down deep into my into our identity in you and live it out loud in a world that may not be able to hear it, knowing that the final outcome that John sees here is where we want to be. Empower us for that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.